All right, we are into week number three of our series. It's called I Am In. And week one, we talked about the fact that we are invited into the family of God. And week two, we, we talked about that we are invaluable, that we have a gift that God has placed inside of us. And when we are missing from the church body, the whole body is missing a piece. It can't operate the way that it should. And it's not good for the church, and it's not good for you to be disconnected from the body. And this week, we are getting into a third truth that's, I'm influential. I'm influential. And I don't know if you'd normally say that about yourself. And I don't know if you've ever had a circumstance like this. This was kind of a funny thing that happened in my life. All of a sudden, in 2019, I looked at Twitter, and I saw trending across Twitter a very familiar face, not my face, thankfully, but a friend of mine that I worked with in the Toledo, Ohio area. All of a sudden, at age 45, he decided he'd have some fun, he was going to get in shape, and he was going to try to be a model. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to try to do, doesn't it? At 45, to all of a sudden go, I'm just going to be a model now. Well, he got some pictures taken, and his son on Twitter posted this post and said, hey, Twitter, meet my dad. And I'll actually share the post with you here. We'll put it up on the screen so you guys can see it. This is my friend Clint Hazlett when the post gets there. There it is. There he is. And his son Colin said, my dad is 45 pursuing a modeling career and I've never seen him happier. He told me he's just waiting for a chance to blow up. So Twitter, meet my dad. And sure enough, over 86,000 people shared this and it started affecting Twitter to where all these different kids like John Mayer's kids and all these other famous kids were like, hey, Twitter, meet my dad and posting these pictures about it. And it's so funny to see a person that you know and that you've talked with and spent time with all of a sudden be like on the national stage. He's getting interviewed by Time Magazine and all these different media outlets and modeling agencies are sending him contracts trying to get him to sign up and he's doing all these shoots. And it's just a funny thing to see and all of a sudden be in this like influencer status. And influencer is a relative, we use the word in a relatively new way because years ago when we say these are, this is an influencer, it means something completely different then, 20 years ago, than what it means now. Because now when we hear influencer, we're, we're, it's kind of common knowledge that people who are on uh, TikTok or on YouTube, people who are producing content have become influencers. And I, I just want to say that we, whether we have a stage like Clint or not, whether we're considered an influencer online or not, we, we've kind of relegated influence to just being those people. But I want to tell you the concept that only those who have national attention are influencers, it's not a biblical concept. In fact, the Bible teaches that each one of us has influence that is incredibly important, that is as important as if we had one of those stages, that our, our, the importance of how we live is not diminished by how many followers or how many likes we have. And I also want to submit to you that if there's a person that you look towards and their main priority in life is getting people to click the like button, there's probably something social or something psychological going on in their head that may not be something you want to emulate. If your main thing is like, I just need people to like me, that's not a healthy thing. And I got nothing against people who've made a profession out of that, but I just want to say, you need to be thinking about influence and who's influencing you. Because if, if it's, you know, I don't mind damaging relationships, I don't mind breaking the law and getting arrested, if it means I get more likes, that's not really a healthy way of living your life. Um, but influence does matter, and your influence right now in the season that you're in right now matters and we're going to look at a passage today that's familiar to many. Some of you guys might be a new one. It's from the Gospel of John chapter 4. It's the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And as we study this passage today, I want you to be thinking about this through the lens of influence. Because 
when we look at this person that Jesus chose to interact with, there's a lot of things that says, okay, why would I pick someone like this? Why would I work through this person? Shouldn't we be finding someone who has a little bit more capacity? Because Jesus only had a few years here on earth to, to make an impact. And so, so why her? Why, why this way? And we're going to pick up in the Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 7, and we'll put this on the screen. And it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now I want to pause there to give you a little context in case you're not familiar with some of these things. Samaria was an area that was considered to, to, to be hated by the Jewish people. They, they should have been brothers and sisters of the faith. They, they were of the same lineage until Samaria was conquered. And then the people of Samaria chose to intermarry with people from other nations. And so the Jewish people looked at them and they would call them half-breeds. They would call them dogs. They were despised. It was racism. They looked at them and they considered them less than the, the Jewish people. And so from the context of looking at influence, first of all, this woman that Jesus is talking to is a Samaritan. And that would be less than ideal if you're looking for someone to influence the Jewish people. The second thing is she was a woman and she begins to ask, you're talking to me? Because in this day and age, even if a husband saw his wife out in the street, what was common is they would not publicly stop and speak or have any sort of affection in public because men just did not speak to women in public the way that we're used to. And so we miss just how scandalous this conversation was. First of all, I mean, Jesus was alone. He's talking to a Samaritan, which really, that conversation didn't have, happen much at all. And then he's talking to a woman. And so she is rightfully just confused because this culturally doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? What are you after? At the end of the passage in verse 9, she says, why are you asking me for a drink? She looks at his question and she says, what is the ulterior motive that's going on here? Like, are, are, are you trying to get something from me? Like, what, what is this setup? Because this is not normal. And in fact, you know, I don't think necessarily that she thought it was a pickup line, but she was looking at Jesus and what Isaiah 53.1 tells us about Jesus, that there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance to attract us to him, which tells you like, if you have the blue-eyed, pretty Jesus picture in your house, that's not really an accurate depiction from what we see in Scripture. Jesus wasn't much to look at. And so she's like, this ugly Jewish guy is suddenly talking to me, like I'm going to keep my distance. What does he want? And that's not sacrilegious to say, but it's to tell you that who Jesus was as a person there was something about the way that he spoke, the way that he treated people that, that was so magnetic that it overcame any of the things that we'd normally look for in a leader. He, it wasn't because he was handsome. It wasn't because he was strong. It, it was something else. The Spirit of God was on him in a way that drew people in. And so as she is interacting with him and trying to figure out why, why is he talking to me? Why, why is he engaging with me in this way? Jesus was setting her up for a conversation. And he, he goes to, to the next spot in verse 10. As she says, you know, why are you asking me for a drink? And then he kind of has a strange reply in verse 10. He says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, now this is interesting because Jesus just shifted the conversation as he does so many times. Jesus would just be very, very artistic in the way that he spoke. He, he'd be talking about, 
you know, what is it that fills you up? And he'd talk about food or, or he'd talk about just water flowing out of you. And he makes this illustration. He, she's there to get water. He asked her to get water. She says, why are you talking with me? And he says, I could give you a gift. And this is interesting because as we're going to see in just a second here in the passage, she has some history. She, she has some, some pain in her past. In just a second, we're going to read about the fact that she has had five husbands, and she's living with a man right now who is not her husband. She's a Samaritan, and she's a woman, and she has moral issues that have probably happened in the past, if not just pain issues that other people have pushed into her life. And Jesus says, what God has for you is a gift. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, Now, if Jesus was looking for the influential, he would have drawn in the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the religious leaders, the government leaders of the day. And it's such a powerful thing that within Scripture, the people that Jesus chose to spend his time with, and he did talk with some of the governors, and he did talk with some of the religious rulers, usually in a very different tone than he talked with the broken. But the fact is, he spent time and he invested in the broken. And he, and he said, there is a gift that can be in you. There is an ability that is in you that he would often call out. And he would call them out of their sin. He wouldn't just leave them there. Don't ever miss that point of scripture. He, he would interact with those through divorce, the, those who have been in adultery. But he would call them out of that to something greater. But he saw something in them. And when we talk about influence and the ability to influence others and the need to influence others, I think that we often look at our own history and we dictate that, God, you can't possibly do anything in my life or through my life because of what has happened in the past of my life. But all of the evidence that we see in Scripture is that Jesus would pull up along people who are broken, hurt, who who do not have the qualifications, and he would enable them to go out and change cities and change the world. And I see just an affront, an attack on your excuses of why you have been in, why you have not had any action in your faith over the last few years. Any of the excuses of why you haven't spoken about the love of God, any of the excuses why you haven't gotten involved in a ministry or a Bible study or really began to give God your heart and not just your presence. Any of those excuses that have been there are illegitimate excuses because God doesn't need you to fix you. That's the work of the Spirit of God that he does as you already start saying yes. And so he's in this interaction, and this woman who's coming to get water at what many think is an irregular time so that she could avoid other women because she doesn't want to be part of their conversation or part of the the verbal abuse she would have got from them because she's had five husbands already. He begins to speak into her and say, if you only knew the gift God has for you. If you only knew the gift that God has for you. In verse 14, he he continues on in this train of thought, and and he says, But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She says, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And this is where, where the conversation really turned. He says, Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And this is where the truth begins to come out. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, this is interesting because in this day, a woman couldn't get a divorce for any reason. It didn't matter what happened. Uh, An affair, abuse. In in these times, 
within their Jewish courts that were ruled by corrupt men, uh, a woman couldn't get a divorce. But a man could get a divorce for any reason. He could have decided she was too old and wanted a younger model, and he could divorce her. He could say that she was disrespectful, and he could divorce her. He, he could say whatever he wanted, because just in general, a woman's testimony wasn't accepted in their Jewish courts at the time. So she had no defense, no ability to defend herself. And so we don't know if it was from tragedy, if um, one or some of the men passed away. We don't know if it was abuse or neglect. Uh, we, we don't know what was in her history, but we know that there was five other men that called her husband, and she's living with a man right now that is not her husband, which even in Samaria was something that could be punished by death. And he's having this interaction with her, and if there was any reason to discredit someone and not try to bring them into the circle, if there's any reason to say, you are not the right one to be speaking my name, I think Jesus probably could have found a lot of reasons to cancel her right here. But the thing that he ended that statement on was, well, you're telling the truth now. You did tell me the truth. And that showed her something. It showed her that Jesus is more than just a man. Like, Jesus knows what's going on. Like, this might be the Messiah. And she apparently has heard and thought about the son because of what she says next in the conversation. In verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. Now look, there's only a couple places in the Gospels where Jesus was willing to straight out say this, and only to a select few. And so I want you to see the intentionality and the love and the desire to draw this woman in, to, to let her understand that she is loved by God, that, that God is speaking to her right now in an incredible way. Jesus only said that to a select few people. And then when, when he said that, verse 27, just then the disciples come, came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? I, I want to pause there for a second because I want you to be able to see like how big the disciples' eyes got when they saw Jesus talking to a woman slash a Samaritan woman. Like this felt so improper for them because women and Samaritans were of a lesser value. And that's how they saw it. And that was something that, that God had to work out of those men. Even later into the New Testament, we see Peter was being discriminatory against the Gentiles whenever the Jewish people would come around and the Apostle Paul had to call him out on that. Don't think that these men had it all together. God was working this out of them. And this is one of those things where they walked up and they were shocked. They, they, they couldn't even work up the nerve to ask what was happening here. In verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, as we get into this interaction with the woman, the woman that the disciples would have avoided talking to, I don't want to gloss past that without addressing as a church. It's very unfortunate that across America, there's such a high level of discomfort when someone of a different culture or different ethnicity shares the pew with you. It should not be that way. We are all created in the image of God. We are created from one blood, from one family. And within the human race, we all belong to each other. God, God has ordained this. 
And for the disciples, they wouldn't have allowed any influence to happen between themselves and this woman because they saw less of her. And I'm afraid that within the churches, there's this feeling of, well, this is a, you know, over here is a white church, and then there's a Hispanic church, and there's a black church. And I, I want people to worship where they're comfortable, but I want people to feel comfortable worshiping here no matter what background they have. And I want us to understand that as we come in, we have to work to fix diversity because diversity doesn't happen naturally out there. And because it doesn't happen naturally out there, it doesn't happen naturally in here. And so we have to work to help it happen. We have to be willing to move towards other people that maybe it was never your fault, maybe it was never from you, but discrimination does happen in our world and we have to fight against it because of what Christ has done in our heart. Because we understand that God has created all of the world and all, all of us in his image and we all have the same value. Do we, do, can I get an amen to that? Amen. amen. All right, we're with, you're with me. Okay, good. And so within us, we have to be asking the questions um, uh, of influence because we, we can't influence the people that we, we refuse to associate with. And, and this is one of the, the points that I want you to take from this. We can't influence the people that we refuse to associate with. And if we look at a group of people and we just say, well, I, I wouldn't be welcomed there, and so we, we never engage, then we don't have the opportunity to encourage. We don't have the opportunity to do life with them. And we have to intentionally lean into these spaces. Andy Stanley, that's a quote from him when he was teaching that is stuck with me. And we, we have to initiate those times. And Jesus, when he did it, I mean, Jesus modeled this in the interaction with a Samaritan woman, and it literally shocked his disciples. They were literally shocked by it. And, you know, my, my heart, my vision, I, I hope that we, we will be and will continue to be and will grow in being more, a more diverse church. But, I, you know, I have GulfSideIglesia.com reserved as well because I fully expect that we're going to minister to every culture and community in here and we're going to find a way to integrate together because that's what the church should look like, because that's what the ministry of Jesus looked like. And so this, this woman who, who was shocking to the disciples that she was there, she came to that well to draw up water, but what happened after she interacted with Jesus? She left, she forgot her water there and she went running off back to town. And I, you know, my mind kind of just works through the reality of these situations. I can't help but wonder if when she left the water there and ran back to town as the disciples arrived, if Jesus was like, well, I wanted a drink of water and kind of helped himself, but I don't know that he'd do that, but I just wonder if it happened. But as she went running off to town, she was still in the eyes of everyone there, the same exact woman who left to go to the well. The same exact woman who had been married five times prior, living with someone who's not her husband. And she goes in, and all of a sudden, she's shouting religious statements. She's making statements about the Messiah, about come and see. And the passage gets into the, the, the fact of her testimony, but I wonder how many people would have discredited her because they knew part of her testimony. As she went back to the village to say, hey, you guys need to come experience this, you need to see this, you need to talk to him, I'm sure there are people who would be like, why is this coming out of your mouth? <laughs> like, we know you. But you know what? In Scripture, you're not ever responsible for someone's response when you invite them. You're not responsible for how they react with the gospel when you share about God's love. But you are accountable before God for sharing it, for being invitational, for being loving, for being grace, for drawing people inwards. You are responsible for that. And so she went out, and she was a great example of this. She went out, and she was heading back to the city to, to invite people. And then this conversation broke out, 
And, and it's so cool because as the Samaritan woman it was so hyped up about meeting Jesus that she forgot her water and just went running back to the village, the disciples are just arriving back from that village. And they had gone to get food, and so they brought the food back to Jesus. And verse 31, we'll put this up on the screen. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. They went and got this food, and apparently Jesus is not eating. And so, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? Like, I, I mean, Jesus is talking on one level and they're thinking on a completely different level. Like, they're wondering, like, who was the Uber? Who was the delivery driver that, like, brought food? And Jesus say, is trying to teach them something. And just like the other times, Jesus would, you know, start artistically and then go simply for his disciples and explain it in common terms. In verse 34, he says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And it gets into this question of, you know, what are you hungry for? Like, what is, what is filling you up? Because apparently seeing this Samaritan woman respond to his invitation to the point where she forgot about the water, she forgot about the things she was doing, and she went running into the city to tell other people about the Messiah, that was enough to fill up Jesus for the day. He, he was... He was feeling full from it. He was feeling excited from it. And the disciples, they had just gone into that city and come back, but all they brought back with them was food, and they're ready to eat now. And, and they're missing the fact that Jesus is saying, you walked through all those people, you walked through all the Samaritans, and you walked through a field that was ripe for the harvest, but you think people coming, people, people joining this movement, people understanding the Messiah is here. You think that's still months away? You think that's future time? It's happening right now. But they couldn't see all of the opportunities around them because the Samaritans didn't look like what they were looking for. They were missing it. Jesus was trying to call their attention to it. Through the realm of influence, I am afraid that there are people around us that we have written off, that we have said would not be interested they would not want this. Maybe there's people in your life that because of, of the things that are in that, that we would call sins, you'd say, well, they just wouldn't be interested in church or God or me talking about that. But I want to tell you, the further that you go into that deep end of getting more addicted to sin, further away from God, the more your heart desires it, the more your heart requires it, that reconnection with God. And so if there's someone in your life that you feel like needs the message of the gospel, don't let their current mistakes keep you from sharing with them. Don't let their current mistakes keep you from being invitational towards them. There's a harvest in places that we weren't looking for it at. Jesus says, my food is to do the work of my Father. And it's, it's, a, it's a reverse concept because we usually think that when we have to serve someone else, when we have to do something else for someone else, that that's draining for us. But I want to tell you, in the kingdom of God, what I have found is that when you find the place where you're supposed to serve, when you discover your purpose and your gift and you have a place where you get to use it, serving other people actually fills you up. And that's what Jesus was talking about here, that, that being in this situation, it's something that makes me feel full, not empty. And if you get pushed into something and it's like, you know, I hate kids, but now I'm serving in kids ministry, that's going to feel exhausting. All right? I don't want that for you, but some of you guys love serving kids and getting, back, getting to be back there and seeing a young mind learn to love Jesus. It lights a fire in you, and it fills you up. 
And we as a church, we want to help you find that place, whether it's a position serving within the church or serving within the city. I believe that you were designed with a gift and with the intent that when you use this gift, it's going to make you filled up, feel filled up. But you know, and, and this sounds backwards of like serving makes me feel full, but you know that the more that you just try to live your life selfishly, where you try to make other people do things for you, it's like you have to keep trying to control other people, control other people, and it's more and more exhausting. If you live your life only focused on your own comfort, on, on your own gratification, you will end up being exhausted by that. But if you find that gift that God has placed in you and you use it to serve, you're going to feel more and more filled up by it. You're going to feel more and more optimistic about your life and about your faith because you see where God is moving versus if you're just trying to manipulate and control people for your own benefit, you're going to feel more and more exhausted by all the puppet strings that you have to keep a hold of. We weren't designed to live our life like that. Jesus modeled the fact that the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. And so must we. We have to serve our city. We have to serve our church. We have to serve others because it's what fills us up and because the way that we live impacts people around us in a tremendous way. You have influence. You have influence. You may not recognize it. You may not even want it, but you have it. And Jesus took a woman who was a Samaritan who had a, a history and he worked through in this incredible way. Look at this in verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Jesus was going through Samaria, but these people, their hearts started turning towards God in such an incredible way that Jesus said, okay, we're going we're to pause the trip, and we're going to spend two days here with these people. And while they were there, verse 41 says, and because of his many words more became believers. And all of this traces back to the influence of the Samaritan woman with the past, with the mistakes, who went running into town. The thing that she had, and I'm going to tell you, the only thing that God really needs from you to begin to work through you is willingness. That's it. He doesn't need your popularity. He doesn't need you to have a story that has it all together. He doesn't need you to be gifted. He doesn't even need you to be handsome or pretty. That's not what he needs. He needs you to be willing. And when you step into the space of saying, I'm going to try to let God move. I'm going to try to speak of God's love. I'm going to try. God meets you in that space and he begins to work. And the result in this situation was many from that village became believers. She was an unlikely influencer. She did not have the position. She did not have the respect. She still had influence and so do you. And there, there may be people in your life that you love that you, you haven't been influencing the way that you should. You know you need to step it up. There might be people in your life who grind on your nerves that you know that you need to be influencing. You need to step it up. Those two categories, they might be the same person, right? That might be your husband or your spouse. Like, I love them. They grind on my nerves. Same person, same ministry call. We need to be aware of our influence. How are we pushing people forward? Because you have it. The question is if you're using it. Band, if you guys make your way up, I'm going to close this thing out. In, in the passage, one of the most incredible things to me in this passage is this contrast that happened, but it's so easy to miss. Did you recognize that Jesus' 12 disciples went into the town? They were around all of those same people, 
They purchased food. They brought it back to Jesus and they just came back with food. The ones who were trained by Jesus, the ones who, who are seeing miracles, the ones who the church would be built upon, they were in that village. But then the Samaritan woman, with none of the qualifications, with a mere few moments with Jesus, went back into that same village and declared the Messiah is here. The disciples knew the Messiah was here. But they didn't proclaim it in a way that brought anybody back. They were concerned, they were consumed by what they would consume. They were busy with life that they missed the truest part of life, the spiritual aspect. And in contrast to what they did, she was going out to get water when she met Jesus and knew that he was there, knew that he was available to the people of the city. She left the water there and went back and got the people. It's exact opposites. The ones that should have been influencers weren't. The one that should have been, should not have had any influence changed the whole village. And so that has to attack any excuses that we would have for staying still in our faith. So for you, I want to first just encourage you to recognize your influence and your opportunity. Do not let it pass by. And I want to warn our church and any other church that's listening because there's this possibility for us to get to a point where we feel like we have this closeness with Jesus. We have this intimacy with Him. And we, we've got a great church. We love to worship together and the worship is so good. And the message, we enjoy it. And in a small group, like I've got my people and it's like I feel close to God within my circle, but my life just stays within this church circle. We can get set up that way. And we lose the urgency to bring this message to our city. We lose the perspective that we have anything to offer those who are hurting. And I think that's one of the things that she had that the disciples didn't have. She had an urgency for people to know. I wanna say my closing thought this way. The intimacy of knowing Christ is accompanied by an urgency to influence others. You can't be close to the heart of God without having a heart for other people. You can't do it. You can't love God whom you haven't seen without loving your brother whom you have seen. They go together. So we as a church, we as individuals, we as families, we've got to choose. God, you've given me this influence and I want to use it to help other people. Because I understand my opportunity is short. Let's use this opportunity well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example that you gave us. That, that first of all, you don't need our gifts, but you desire our willingness. And so may we have willing hearts today to do whatever you open up the opportunity for us to do, to serve, to love, to show grace, to show compassion where it is not deserved. May we do that because you showed grace, you showed love, you showed compassion where it was not deserved to us. And may we draw others in so that they can experience this incredible love that we have found in your presence. In Jesus' name.